you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. This is a passage many of us will be familiar with, especially around this time of Christmas. But we trust and pray that God will use it to speak to each of us this morning. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. We thank God for this, his word to us this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the message of your gospel. Might your spirit be at work, challenging us, convicting us, and encouraging us to your people. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I wonder if over this Christmas break you gave or received many invitations, perhaps an invitation to go to a family member's house for Christmas Day or or Boxing Day lunch. Maybe for tomorrow you've been invited to go to a friend's for New Year's Day. Maybe you've given out some of our invitations to families or friends to, to come along to church during this festive period. There's no doubt about it, this time of Christmas is a time of many invitations. And really, when we, when we think about it, there's only three ways in which we can respond to an invitation. We can respond with indifference, ignore the invitation, say, I'll get back to you, and then never really do. Or we can leave that text message on read, ignore the invitation. We can respond by rejecting the invitation, declining it, throwing it in the bin. Or we can accept the invitation, say, yes, I'll be there. 
There's three ways in which we can respond to an invitation. We can ignore it, reject it, or accept it. Well, here in this passage of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, we see these three responses from dis- different people. As God sends out his invitation, he sends an invitation for us to come and worship the newborn king, Jesus. And some reject the invitation, some ignore the invitation, and some accept the invitation. What we see this morning in Matthew 2 are these three responses to God's invitation for us to come and worship Christ. Let's consider them now. Firstly, we see in this passage that some respond to the invitation with indifference. Some choose to ignore the king. And we see that in the response of the chief priests and the scribes. Now, the chief priests and scribes mentioned in this passage, well, they are the the religious elite of the day. They would be the best Jews and the, the greatest Jews of the day. They will know their scripture inside out. They'll be great scholars of the Old Testament. Some of them will even have it completely memorized. They'll be pros at keeping all their extra Jewish laws. And if anyone was to look at these men at the time, they'd say to themselves, these are men who love God. But here we come to Matthew chapter 2, and that's not really the case. They've just heard that the newborn king of the Jews is here. They've just been told by Herod that the Christ has come. Herod asked them where the Christ can be found, and they reply to him by quoting scripture. So then know the king has been born. We see that in verse 2. Then know that that king is the Christ. We see that in verse 4. And they even know where they can find him. We see that in verse 5 and verse 6 as they respond. They have all this information, and yet how do they respond to the king? Well, it seems that they show no response at all. They know that the promised king of the Jews, the promised Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for all these years, has finally come, and they respond with indifference. They are indifferent and choose to ignore Christ's birth. And let's be clear that this indifference, this, this doing nothing that they show, it's not because of any lack of information. In fact, they know more than most about who this child that has been born is. We see that in verse 6 as they quote from Micah chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me there now. Micah, he, it's one of the, the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. And for us to really understand well, what do these chief priests and scribes know? Well, we need to understand what Micah 5 tells us. So we've jumped in here to Micah chapter 5. What's going on? Well, Micah is telling the people of God that an earthly ruler will come up against Israel and oppress them for a time. We see that in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is led against us. With a rod they strike 
the judge of Israel on the cheek. The language Micah uses is that of battle and struggle, speaking of troops and a siege. He's calling Israel to take up arms and defend themselves from these evil armies that are surrounding them, for they're about to be oppressed. And then as we come to to verse 2, which these scribes and chief priests quote, Micah speaks of a promised ruler of Israel whom God will raise up from Bethlehem. From you shall come one who is to be ruler in Israel. And Micah then goes on to explain the unfolding of how this promised king will come. How he will be one who is born as king. Verse 3 of Micah 5, when she who is in labor has given birth. Verse 4 then explains what this king will come to do. He is one who will shepherd his people in God's strength. How his people will be secure under his care. How his name will be great in all the earth. Micah 5 tells of how God will bring forth a child born as king who will liberate his people from the rule of their enemies and will step in as the greater ruler that God's people have longed for. So as we come back again to Matthew chapter 2 and see how the chief priests and scribes quote this passage, while it's clear to us that they understand who this child that has been born is. They know the one Herod asks about is the promised king from Micah 5. They know the child that Herod seeks is God's promised king. They know he is the Messiah who will rescue Israel and rule them as their great king. And yet still they choose to ignore him. They choose to remain indifferent to the king. They know all of this about who Jesus is, but yet they do nothing with him. See, some people reject Jesus, not because of lack of evidence, not because they need any more information. For some people, they will ignore Christ simply because they refuse to worship him. There are those people even here today, who will know their Bibles, who will have been to Sunday school, who will come to our services every Sunday morning, maybe even the Sunday evenings, maybe even the prayer meetings, and yet still do nothing with Jesus. They may look the part and act the part just like the chief priests and the scribes here, but really in their hearts, Will they refuse to worship Jesus? And really, it's because to worship Jesus, we need to submit to him as king, and they don't want to do that. Their problem is that they refuse to submit to him as king. We see that again in the chief priests and the scribes. If we had time this morning to read on in Matthew's gospel, we would see how they constantly oppose Christ and his teaching. And so we see that for some, the stumbling block to faith in Jesus is not a lack of information, nor a lack of understanding. For some, the stumbling block to faith is their refusal to submit to Christ as king. For some, the stumbling block to faith in Jesus is not a lack of information or a lack of understanding. For some, the stumbling block to faith is their refusal to submit 
to Christ as King. And the thing that each of us sitting here this morning needs to consider is are we ignoring Christ? Are we doing nothing with Jesus? Are we submitting to him as king or are we choosing to be indifferent to him just like the chief priests and scribes? Like the chief priests, we're happy to go to church. We're happy to read our Bibles. We're happy to bow our heads in prayer. But as soon as Christ as king calls us to change and to submit to him, well, then we're no longer happy to listen to him. We're happy to speak out against the sinfulness in the world, the sinfulness of everyone around us. But as soon as Christ exposes the sin in my life, well, that's when we shut our ears and refuse to submit to his rule. Sadly, the chief priests, and perhaps some even here this morning, will continue to respond to King Jesus by doing nothing with him. I refuse to submit to his rule. Instead of taking hold of this great invitation to worship the king, instead of accepting it with excitement, they set it to the side. It's given to them, they, they receive it, but when they get home on a Sunday afternoon, they put it in the kitchen drawer and never take it out again. They respond to the king by doing nothing. But there are also those, like we thought in the kids' talk, who, who take the invitation and throw it in the bin, aren't there? There are those who, who don't even bother to take the invitation home, but instead decide to rip it up, to rip the invitation up. On the lead up to, to New Year, I'm sure a lot of you have received different invitations to, to friends' houses for, for New Year's, or maybe people who, who you're not really friends with. And maybe you have even decided or considered ripping those invitations up before your, your good conscience kicked in and you kept you on the right track. I'm sure none of you would ever do that. But there are those who, upon receiving the invitation, tear it up and throw it into the bin, who respond to the invitation by completely rejecting it. And that takes us to the next response that we see in this passage, a response of rejection and opposition. And we see that characterized in Herod. Look down with me to verse 3. The wise men have just arrived and informed Herod of the birth of this new king. And how does Herod respond? Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. It's clear for us to see that Herod, he, he doesn't receive this news with joy, but with opposition. And we see that opposition in full force as we read on to verse 16. If you have a Bible with you, look down and read it with me. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod's opposition to Christ is as clear as can be. King Herod seeks to destroy the newborn king, Jesus. He utterly hates the rule of Christ. And because of this, he seeks to harm Jesus and destroy him. 
Now, we don't have many Herods running about today, but we do have rulers and governments who hate Christ. We have rulers and governments who seek to oppose and oppress his name and his message. Just like these events 2,000 years ago, we live in a land today where laws are passed which directly contradict the word of God. We see abortion, the pre-birth murder of children. And we see it legalized and called a right. Direct opposition to the word of Christ. And as we look to Matthew 2 and see a ruler who seeks to oppress Christ and hates his message, it's not difficult for us to see the parallels between then and now. It's not difficult for us to connect the dots between then when a ruler issued a decree to slaughter all the male boys under the age of two and draw the parallels between now when laws are passed in which children in the womb are to be killed can legally be killed. You see, the reason that we look around today and see rulers and authorities across the world and throughout history who have hated or do hate the message of Christ is because apart from God's grace, these rulers are obsessed with and love their own power. Instead of bowing before Jesus, they actively oppose his rule because they love their own. But God doesn't leave us to live under this rule forever. We thought earlier of the message of Micah 5, how a king will be born to liberate God's people from the rule of their enemies. And we thought of how at that time God's people awaited the birth of a king who would come to liberate them from the rule of the oppressors. And we know today that that king is Jesus. And that this promise of liberation for God's people, this promise of rescue from being under the oppressive rule, we now await as the church. And we await for it to be fulfilled and finalized as Jesus Christ comes again to judge the earth. We wait expectantly for him to come to liberate us from the rule of those who oppose his name and for him to establish a rule that will never end. A perfect rule in a perfect kingdom with him as our perfect king. We await for him to liberate us from this oppressive rule and bring us into a kingdom in which we worship him forever. And that brings us to the final response which we see in this passage. A response of worship to the king. We see that in our most famous characters in this passage, the wise men. Look down with me to to verse 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The wise men have come for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to worship the king of the Jews. Now, what's significant about these wise men coming to worship this king is that they're from the east. 
And that's actually the only information that Matthew gives us about them in verse 1. The only way he describes them is that they are wise men from the east. And that's significant because in the Old Testament, east is the direction that goes away from God. When Adam and Eve sinned and God cast them out of his presence, out of the garden, he sent them east. When Cain kills Abel, God sends him once again away from his presence to the east. You might remember from our Genesis series when Abram and Lot separate, Lot journeys east. And as he journeys east, he goes to Sodom, and Sodom is filled with great sinners against the Lord. You see that in Genesis 13. As men sin, they travel east. But here in Matthew 2, there's a change of direction. No longer do men travel to the east, but they come from the east. As Jesus is born, God invites sinners once again to come into his presence presence and worship this king. God sets the star in the sky as a means of calling these wise men as a means of calling those who are far off to come and worship Christ. God draws these men to himself, and they respond in worship. They respond ultimately as they fall down and worship him and offer him their gifts. In verse 11, as the wise men continually worship in this passage, at the start when they're introduced and at the end, continual worship And it's always in response to Christ. God calls and his people respond. And it's the same throughout scripture and the same for us today. When we worship God, it's always in response to what God has done. That's why we have our call to worship at the start of the service. To hear God's call before we respond in worship. It's why we're going to pray and sing after the sermon because God reveals himself through his word and so we respond to him in praise. God speaks to his church and we respond. It's why next week when we take communion together, it will be instituted that God's word will be read because God speaks And then we respond. And that call ultimately goes out supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. As God comes to us in Christ, he invites each of us to come and to worship the king. A call for us to respond and rejoice exceedingly with great joy, just like the wise men did in verse 10, to come and worship Christ. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is the response which the king deserves. To worship him, to rejoice in him, and to be filled with the great joy which he gives to his people. A great and perfect joy found only in Christ, and a joy that can only be experienced in him. A joy that is not experienced by those who reject him. Herod does not find this joy. 
The scribes and the chief priests do not find this joy. But the wise men find this joy. God's people find this joy in the person of Jesus Christ. Rejoice exceedingly and be filled with the great joy which he gives to his people. Come and worship this king. Respond to this invitation in worship. There is this morning an invitation that has gone out from God to come and worship the true king, Jesus. How will we respond? Will we ignore him? We do nothing? Will we oppose him? Reject him? Or will we come and worship the king? Respond to him in worship. Rejoice exceedingly and experience the great joy found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we see clearly your call for us to come and worship the King, the one true King, Jesus. Lord, might you help each of us by the power of your Spirit to respond to this invitation in worship of Christ. Might you help us to delight in submitting to your rule, and might you help us to live lives of obedience to your word. Father, might you enable each of us to rejoice exceedingly with great joy at the name of Jesus Christ, our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.